Will sports leagues finally reach a boiling point with all this sports betting engulfing sports? We'll talk about that and more this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. This is Matt Freights, the Iceman. That is the coach, Brad Powell. Brad, it's great to see that face, buddy. How you doing? Iceman, doing great, my friend. Doing great, as always. And I'm excited for this episode because we have a lot of controversy, I think, within our outline this week, which is right up my alley. I like a good controversy or two. And other than that, though, things are going good. We are weathering through the interesting like winter conversion into spring here in the Midwest where it goes from being 85 degrees one day to 35 degrees the next day and just bounces back and forth. Snows in the morning, tornadoes in the afternoon. It is something else. There was even, uh, you could see the northern lights from here. Oh, really? Uh, in, in central Illinois last night. Like, so it, it's just so weird, man. Like weather here is out of control. Northern Lights, traveling bucket list for me. I'm not sure if it is for you, but Aurora Borealis would be fantastic to see. But can I regale you about a story regarding this ridiculous weather pattern before we get into the show? Absolutely. As you know, and the listeners know, the viewers know, if you're watching on YouTube, I went overseas recently. And when we came back, it had been 80-something degrees here in Virginia. And when I came back, I no longer had a front yard or a front flower bed. I had a weed bed. The weeds had engulfed the entire yard. For those of you who have never listened to me before, I hate doing yard work. It doesn't bring me any satisfaction. I'm not really that great at it. I kill just about everything that I try to plant. So really, it's just about maintenance for me. And this was well beyond my control. I knew that I couldn't do it. So we talked to some companies and they gave us quotes of like $2,000 to clean up all the beds and do a bunch of stuff. And I'm thinking there's got to be a better way than this. So our contractor who did some kitchen work for us, we called him up and said, Hey, do you got a guy for this? Cause usually he has a guy. So his guy comes over, comes over in like a Penske box truck or something like that. It was really strange. And he looks around and he's talking to us and he says, yeah, I can do this. It'll take me like three, four hours. And he's like, what do you think for a price? And we're like, well, I don't know. Like, what, what do you think? And he looks around, he thinks for a bit and he goes, I don't know, 150. And we were like, $150? And he's like, yes. <laughs> And so both of us were like, how about 500? And his eyes kind of got big and he's like, okay. So he cleaned up. I think we paid him six, $700 or whatever. It saved us, what, 1500 on, t- you know, for the, the work that was done here. But it's just hilarious. And the guy did everything. Every time I pay somebody to do something that I probably should do myself, I feel incredibly emasculated. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but at the same time, the older I get, I'm all about if it's within the budget, I'm all about paying for convenience. Uh, there are certain things I enjoy doing, certain things that it just makes sense to do yourself. But when I can make it work, man, I'll pay for convenience all day long. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, you're a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. And you were either going to pay for that in your time and blood, sweat and tears or or your money, you know. So you saved your time, put it to better use and let someone else uh, make a few bucks doing a day's worth of honest work. I don't know what this says about me, but I asked my wife realistically because I'm very much a cost benefit analysis guy. So I always like to know what is the cost of something that I would do? And usually I calculate it by saying my hourly rate times however many hours it will take. I think that's reasonable because if you think about how long would it take me, I mean, that's probably the best measure for your time. I mean, your time is priceless, but in terms of like how much is your time worth? And she looks at me and says, I think it would take you 40 hours. And I think that's an indictment on myself as a handyman. (laughs) Maybe so, maybe so. But I say that you're maybe more of a man than others because you're willing to admit freely where your shortcomings are, right? And and I, I'd like to think for the most part, I'm the same way. I know when I'm in over my head or when I can't do something up to the level that it needs to be done. And I have no shame in uh, inviting someone more skilled in to, to do the job. A hundred percent, because I know, and this is just me now, I don't ever want to live in what I consider a nailed it moment. So I try to do something myself and it ends up being memeable on the internet. And then I have to live with this. It's one thing to bake something and have it not come out right. But your home, I don't ever want to be in that position. And I know my wife and I have had struggles with that when we were coming up on buying a house. And she wanted kind of a fixer upper because she got all in with all the gains and everything about that. And I'm like, that's professional. 
We are not professional. It would not be that way when we did it. And I do not want to live in Tom Hanks's money pit. No, man, you're right. Me and my wife talk about that stuff all the time because we have a few projects, a lot of projects we'd like to do around our home. And she's like, I think we could do this. I think we could remodel the bathroom. I think we could do whatever. Like I've watched videos on it. It looks easy. I'm like, you know what, though? They don't ever make videos of them screwing it up. You know, like all the videos you watch, probably a professional that's done it dozens of times. They've edited the video. You don't get the hours of them cussing at themselves, throwing shit, all that stuff. Uh, you just see little clips, the highlights, and then the finished product. And it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. And she wouldn't be yelling at herself. She'd be yelling at you yes. for not doing it properly. So let's save ourselves a, a modicum of marital strife. And let's have a little bit more marital bliss as we watch somebody else create something. But if you have a story of a nailed it moment or a DIY moment that did not come true, make sure to call the show, area code 703-718-6314. I will say that again, area code 703-718-6314. Call us with those stories or anything that you want to talk about in the sporting world. We would love to hear your takes, play them on the show. And who knows, if you're lucky, maybe we'll have you on the show. So after all of this landscaping business, I want to get into, I guess, pruning the shrubs here of the Detroit Lions, because the Detroit Lions now will be, I believe, six players down heading into this season. And why is that? You think injury camps haven't even started yet. The draft is on Thursday. Well, sports gambling came up again in the news and you talked about controversy. And I think this one is very, very juicy for me because I don't think it's a morality thing. I think it comes down to how are these sports leagues going to manage this? But at the end of the day, six players were suspended, I think, six games, which is not half the season, but it's a significant amount these days for betting not on football, but on other sports. And I find it fascinating because the NFL and all these sports leagues are in bed with with places like DraftKings and FanDuel. Sports betting is becoming legal in many states. It's legal here in Virginia, I believe. And I find that this is going to be very, very difficult to navigate. But I just wanted to start out with your thoughts on how you receive the news of players being suspended for gambling, knowing that all this stuff is percolating in the background. Initially, I, I look at it as an IQ test, and I heard someone refer to drug tests in the NFL this way. They said they know exactly when you're going to be drug tested, and so you have to be a complete idiot to fail a drug test in the NFL. And I think this is very similar. It's very obvious through the history of sports, not just modern days, that gambling is very taboo against the rules, and there are usually swift and severe consequences for breaking those rules. So to do so speaks to your level of intelligence at a, at a very, in a very significant way in my opinion. Yeah, it's a problem because you have people that are going to make stupid choices and bet on games, bet on the leagues they're playing in. Uh, one thing I did find interesting, though, that I did I wasn't necessarily aware of, I, I guess it's illegal for NFL players to bet on any professional sport or maybe do any sort of sports gambling? Because I think a couple or one of the guys that got suspended, the one that got suspended for six games, the wide receiver, um, I, I don't think he bet on any NFL games, but he had bet on other non-NFL sporting events. So I, I think that's kind of jacked up. I mean, I get they might have friends, close friends that play in other leagues and things like that and more access than the average person. I think they should be able to bet on horse racing or an NBA game or whatever. So I think this comes down to, it, it's sort of similar to your take here about an IQ test, but I think this comes down to players understanding the confines and the rules by which they are asked to be a part of, I guess, or confined to within their employer. Cleve and I talk about this a lot with these guys who get hurt outside of the team facility and are upset when the team can void their contract or guys who pop positive for PEDs nowadays. Your trainer should be 100% sure of every single thing that you're putting into your body. Body. And if you are a part of the NFL and there are ground rules for which you cannot gamble. Now, I believe that many sports leagues, including the NFL, will allow you to. There are certain stipulations that you can't do, like you can't do it in the hotel or things like that. I did hear a funny story about how there were boats in Miami that used to pick up people, travel to what is considered international waters and the casino would open and you could gamble. And you're right. Gambling is seen as a taboo, but I think it's kind of shifting a little bit. And that's why I find this fascinating. But I think when it comes to the players, I don't feel bad for them. I think it's a little bit jacked up in some ways because the NFL is making a lot of money off of this. And then they're turning around and trying to be stern and, and make the rules enforceable and all that. But these are regular people. Like if the NFL feels as if suspending these guys is going to deter them from gambling, it's so not going to happen. They're going to do it. 
So one thing I, I don't know either that's kind of been cycling through my head as you're talking about it. Are there is there any sort of uh, profit sharing that's built into the current CBA when it comes to sports gambling revenue? And I wonder if that's an angle that the league could use to decentivize sports gambling because, hey, like, listen, like we understand we're making money hand over fist on this and it's only right that we share those profits with the players. And maybe that would be a way that, that could help curb it some. But I don't think that people are, ga- they're not gambling for the money. They're gambling. In most cases, people are gambling for the entertainment. That's when, when I place a $5 bet on a game, it's purely for entertainment. I don't need that $4.90 I'm going to win. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it's, I could be betting $1 on a game and, and I'm just, it just makes me more interested just because there's something on the line. Like it's more engaging. I don't know how, if the money would be enough to keep them from engaging in that form of entertainment or not. But I'm also a, like, I'm a live and let live kind of person. I don't think that you should have things, especially things that are available that are legal for everyone else to do. They shouldn't be able to legislate you not being able to do it. But I agree that you can't bet on, like, if you're an NFL player, you should not be able to bet on NFL games. Like, that's a very common sense thing to me. But beyond that, I I, I think they should have the freedom to do whatever. But I don't feel bad for them either because they're adults, they're grown men, and they know the consequences. And I, I do think that, the that, like I said, the punishments should be swift and severe when the rules are broken in regards to gambling. I don't think this is some red flag that says we need to, we made a mistake by legalizing gambling and need to go in reverse. Uh, I, I definitely don't think that needs to happen. I'm a firm believer that there are rules and laws in place that I almost say shouldn't be in place because I think that they prevent stupid people from doing stupid things. And it's it's like a form of natural selection. And maybe that's callous for me to say. So I'm, I'm not advocating for people to hurt themselves or get hurt. But I'll use an example. You talk about motorcyclists and wearing helmets. And there is a large contingent of people that ride motorcycles who feel almost too cool for school that they don't want to wear their helmet. I don't have an issue with that because if you get in a wreck, happily, it will probably be just you that has brain damage or is dead because you're not wearing your helmet. Your helmet won't necessarily save your life, but it may be a big contributor in you surviving and or not having brain damage, right? So it seems common sense to me that you'd want to wear that if you're taking such a high risk. And if you don't want to do that, fine. Seatbelt laws. For children, it's one thing, but for adults, if you're an adult, and I'm going to say this looking at the camera, if you're an adult and wearing a seatbelt is too much for you driving a two-ton vehicle, I'm not really sure what to say for you. It's common sense to me that you should do that. And the fact that there's laws that make it so that people have to do this, it's like you're saving people from themselves. And gambling is just like any other vice. You need to be cautious if you are somebody who has an addictive personality or you can't control it or you can't control your funds, what have you. It's not on the NFL to legislate that, but I think the other side of the coin of betting in general for sports figures is there are certain things that can happen even if they're not betting on their own sports. And I'll give you an example. There's an NBA player who once was in a game. It was a game that was well out of reach, but he understood and he knew that there was an over-under on how many three-pointers he was going to make. He also knew that his friend in the crowd needed him to make one more to get that. So he took a needless shot that ended up going in and he ended up getting his friend some money. And so in that regard, if the players are very aware of their lines and so forth, it could affect how they play because maybe, just maybe, they're playing to reach those potentials or reach those you know, betting odds or what have you. And that may affect the overall outcome of the game, despite the fact that they themselves are not betting on the game. I do think it's not immoral, but it is a tricky or a slippery slope in this regard because these players have to know. Do you think that any NFL player goes into a game or most NFL players go into a game not knowing what the betting line is? It's got to be used as bulletin board material. Oh, absolutely it is. It's almost like we need to start treating professional athletes like you treat a jury. You close them off from all outside news conversations (laughs) so they're not aware of what the lines are or who's betting on what. Yeah, they're aware of it. the thing is that they've always been aware of it. None of this stuff is really new. It's just, it's more out in the public eye now. I mean, everybody before FanDuel and DraftKings, everybody was betting online through offshore casinos. I mean, that's that's the only difference. Um, I do think it's better that it's more in the forefront 
it, it is regulated in some way. And the fact I think that it is so common and popular should make it easier to catch people who are violating and breaking the rules, you know, I mean, because they're going to get most people talk too much, right, myself included, and they're going to start running their mouth about they're going to make a mistake and say something they shouldn't have said about like, hey, man, I, I won this bet on this or something like that. And I just think that the more it's out in the public eye, the, the easier it's going to be to catch people that, that are betting on stuff they're not supposed to be betting on. Maybe I don't know. I just think it's a stupid decision. You should know the rules. You're responsible for making the right choices. And I, I have no sympathy for these guys and the punishments they're receiving. From what I understand, FanDuel and DraftKings are actually going to the NFL to give them news if a player, a known player, is actually placing a bet through the app and vice versa. The NFL is going to them. And at first I thought, man, that's really whack for them to make so much money and then narc out these people. But DraftKings, just as much as the NFL, needs this product to be as pure as possible. They need to keep their players out of it. But the other aspect of this that I want to get your opinion on, I think up until now, the people that have been suspended for gambling, Calvin Ridley, not much of a name, a good receiver, but not much of a name, and a bunch of Detroit Lions who really are not or inconsequential to the team. But what do you think would happen if a player of, say, Patrick Mahomes' caliber or Lamar Jackson, Tua, whatever, a big-time quarterback bordering on face of the league got hit and was found out that they were gambling? Do you think the NFL would make an example of them and swiftly suspend them? Or do you think that the NFL wouldn't risk the face of their league and kind of sweep it under the rug? I think they have. They would have to act swiftly and severely. Uh, the question is, would they? I think they would because... I I, I feel like they would want to make an example of someone. And if, especially if you, the higher profile that person is, the more of an example it would be. The NFL, the shield, is greater than any one player, and they know that. And before Patrick Mahomes, there was Tom Brady, you know. And when Patrick Mahomes goes, there's going to be someone right there to, to fill his shoes as the quote-unquote face of the league. I, I don't think that they've got too many you know, concerns about that. I, I think that they would go after, they, they would almost think, I think they'd almost get excited. I mean, they'd be disappointed, but they'd almost get excited about the opportunity to like make a really impactful example of someone and show that, hey, nobody's above this. At least that's what I think they should do. It's an interesting perspective because I could see both arguments. I mean, with Deflategate, which was about a football that wasn't quite inflated properly, Tom Brady got a suspension of four games. So I guess if they're willing to go that route, they would make an example of a player, but I don't think they want that on their doorstep. And I think it is going to happen eventually. They're going to reach a point where they're going to either have to make a decision of what do we do? Do we make an example or do we try to sweep this under the rug and protect the image of the league? You talk about the shield and what comes with that is the shield, the image of the shield, the optics of everything that they do is very, very important. And Roger Goodell is 100% going to do what makes the league look the best as often as possible. And sweeping it under the rug may end up being that. I mean, it has long been rumored that Michael Jordan's first retirement was because of gambling. And so I heard the joke that maybe Mahomes would take two years off and go play baseball for a couple of years and then come back. I mean, if anybody is suited to do that, it's Mahomes. I mean, his dad was a, an MLB pitcher, but I think about this a lot now because Pete Rose is banned from the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame for famously gambling on his own sport, not in his own team, but on his own sport. And there have been arguments to be made all across the board. But do you think that the the rise in sports betting makes his offense less egregious and MLB really just needs to rip the Band-Aid off, put him in the Hall of Fame as a baseball player, and then distance themselves from him, the human being? Because he's definitely tone deaf. Yeah, this is difficult because when you look at Pete Rose, the baseball player, the guy was an absolute monster. I mean, Charlie Hustle, right? And uh, he played the game the way that you don't, you definitely don't really see it anymore. The style with which he played, obviously very successful, breaking records, winning championships, but he broke the rules. He knew what the rules were and he broke the rules and he knew what the consequences were for breaking those rules. And he is going to pay the price for it the rest of his life. And I, I, I want to say like, this is going to be, I mean, it's unpopular, but I, I think that the way it's being handled currently is the right way. Like, I, I does he deserve, is, was his playing career deserving of the Hall of Fame? Absolutely, 100%. But you broke the rules, period. And uh, whatever, I'm sure there's other people that did it and never got caught, but you did. I, I know that, you know, he's tried to make amends and stuff like that, but it just is what it is, man. Like, you can't, you can't flip the script on this now because 
that's that's spineless to me a little bit from the MLB's perspective. I don't think. I mean, what 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 message does that send to current players if you were to do that? Well, I'll eventually, you know, my legacy will eventually be solidified in the Hall of Fame. You know, once this blows over, I don't think that sports gambling being legal diminishes the fact that it's against the rules to bet on your team, your sport at all. And and I, I'm I'm pro gambling. I like gambling, but like. You just you simply cannot have current players betting on their sport, especially not on their team at all. There's just a zero tolerance situation. Does it change that he was a manager at the time? I think that now you could have that argument. Do you just say, okay, you're not going to put him in as a manager, you put him as a player? But I mean, he got banned from baseball. They wouldn't. They didn't say we we banned Pete Rose, the manager, from baseball, but Pete Rose, the player, is still. I mean, I, I think that he burned his bridge, man. Like, I think it's that simple. He burned his bridge. Um, it doesn't take away from his accomplishments, but you, you've got to be, you can't be banned from baseball and make the Hall of Fame. That's just, that's just, uh, just how it goes, man. Like, I, I, it sucks. It really sucks. But you know what? He's the only person to blame for this. He's the only person in the wrong. This is a seminal moment for the show. I never thought in a million years that I would be standing on the side of defending putting Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame as a player and you standing there having the kind of stance, I would have assumed that it would be in reverse because for many years I felt that way about Pete Rose, that you broke the rules, that's it. And then I've softened on this because I've softened also on guys that are PED guys, but I think it's an interesting discussion to have because now MLB is siphoning in money through sports betting and then he is still banned. And I still feel like you can acknowledge that what he did was bad and that it's not something that you want or going to tolerate from your players. But it's just, I don't know, like nowadays it feels very harsh to still have him be banned when the people that are banning him now, probably some of them weren't even alive when he was playing, like the officials and stuff. So uh, that could be something for a deeper discussion when we get toward Hall of Fame and all that kind of stuff. But as far as sports gambling is concerned, it's certainly... It came to my mind when I thought about these guys in the NFL because they're just the tip of the iceberg now with this, whereas Pete Rose has dominated that space for a long time. But Pete Rose, I think, now is a villain in Major League Baseball still for probably a lot of people. Certainly every time he makes an appearance, he does something idiotic. But villains have been a kind of a theme in the NBA playoffs. I know you're not an NBA guy, so will you... I guess, indulge me a little bit. Can we talk a little NBA? Absolutely, for sure. Especially when there's a little uh, roughhousing going on. It sounds like there was bother in the NBA. As Beans would say, there was a lot of bother in the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs this year, I have to say, have been intriguing, mostly in the Western Conference, but there has been sort of bother in a lot of different places. And I've noticed that there have been a lot of younger teams that have had a lot to say about the older teams that are in the league. And these are older accomplished teams. And I want, I'm going to bring this to a general place, but I want to catch you up on this. So I think the one that was in everybody's headspace last week was Draymond Green. I'm, I assume you're familiar with Draymond, and I'm, I assume you're familiar with the kind of player that he is. Yep, absolutely. Draymond's infamous. He's infamous not because of his play on the court. I mean, he's a great defensive basketball player. He's a four-time NBA champion. Can't take any of that away from him, but he's an agitator. He's the kind of guy that you have on your team to get in the head of other teams, and what comes along with that is volatile behavior at times, and there was an incident last week with the Sacramento Kings who haven't made the playoffs since 2006. I want everybody to keep that in mind, and they have a very young player, Demonis Sabonis, who is the son of Arvidas Sabonis from way back in the day, and there was sort of an incident where Draymond was coming down. Sabonis was on the floor. It looked like Sabonis grabbed his ankle. It also looked like Draymond intentionally stomped on him to try to get out of it. I've watched the video a lot. It seems like they both did something stupid. They both should have been out of the game. Draymond ends up getting suspended. And there was a lot of talk about whether he's run his course, whether that kind of behavior is costing them more victories than he's actually worth. And I wanted to ask you about that. And I think that's the larger discussion is you as a coach knew you had guys that could be the agitators. You kind of wanted that. You need a guy or a kid who can get a little bit under the skin of your opponent. You want to get in their head. But is there a line to be drawn as far as how much you're willing to take? Like, does Draymond get a pass because they've won four NBA titles or does it not matter to you? Well, I think you hope that that person has some self-control and knows where that line in the sand is between creating a competitive advantage through getting under the skin of the other team and creating some mental mishaps because they're too concerned about this guy taking shots at them. 
you know, so you'd hope they could establish some sort of a clear line between that and then when it starts hurting your own team. Uh, That being said, you know, I've coached several kids back in the day where, you know, they were pretty rogue, man. And like, in one sense, it's what made them great. And and because they usually played the game pretty hard in a certain way, but you had to take the other side of that with it. Um, And sometimes it didn't turn out too well. You know, you might have had a great play. Maybe they come came up and made some huge tackle for loss because they're super ultra aggressive, but then they get up and punch the guy in the face and now they, it's a 15-yard penalty. So it, it's difficult for sure to manage that situation. I think that it just depends. I think there's certain coaches that maybe manage those personalities better than others. I, and I'm not completely aware of how much Draymond's antics have impacted the team as a whole to this point, but you would hope that winning is more important than his ego or whatever you want to call it. And it's a tough deal, man. It's tough. One guy that stuck out in my head when you started talking about agitators, he was a world-class agitator. And that was, uh, remember Cortland Finnegan that played for the Titans? Yes. Oh my gosh, man. I remember one time uh, when they were playing the Colts and he got Andre, it was Andre Johnson, I think, came to the Colts, I believe. He got Andre Johnson's goat, man. I mean, he literally, like, next thing you know, he's throwing punches and everything else. I mean, he got under that dude's skin. But he got under everybody's skin. But it's what made him great at the same time because people were more concerned about him fucking with them than they were, than they were about doing their job. You know, so it's, it's unique. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't really have, I don't fall, like, firmly on either side of it, I guess, because I can see the benefit in it you also have to try to find a way to manage it because it can't hurt the team. I think with the success, though, you take more of it. But my other point in, in bringing that up is the NBA suspended him for a game in the playoffs. I personally feel that the NBA should not be doling out justice the same way in the regular season as they do in the playoffs because no matter how you slice it, some people will argue that, well, it's the playoffs, you need to be more, I guess, behave. you need to behave more But I personally believe that the playoffs mean more and they mean more to the NBA and the NBA should take a less firm stance on some of these. Like, I think you really have to cross the line to do it. Again, when I watch this tape, it seems like they both did something wrong. Fine. Kick them out of that particular game. Bring them back because that series right now is the best one going. It's extremely entertaining and exciting. It's like the old guard versus the new guard kind of a thing. And it's disappointing that the NBA took that stance. And I get it. There's a lot of people who are going to say, yeah, but this guy did something wrong. I'm I'm sure you probably are thinking that, but I think the NBA, it's their job to think about the overall product. And I think you have to know what your line is. It can't be the same as what it is in the regular season because no offense, those games just do not matter as much. And so I was a little disappointed with that, but I want to bring that to the next incident, which is sort of related, but it has to do with people agitating with no credentials and no winning and no championships coming at guys who are established. So the Memphis Grizzlies are head, they are headed by John Morant. You know who that is. Dylan Brooks is a player on their team. And I would say that he is very much the Bill Lambeer of his day. He is the enforcer. He's the guy who tries to get in their heads. But he doesn't really do anything particularly well. He's kind of like Draymond, like Draymond 4.0. If there was like three other people and you sort of diluted Draymond's skill set of defense all the way down to that level. And he was asked about an altercation with LeBron because the Grizzlies are playing the Lakers. And he basically said, I don't care about LeBron because he's old. And yes, by age, <laughs> LeBron is old. But then in the game, he ends up getting kicked out because he kicked LeBron in the nuts. Like, that's not backing up what you're saying. I personally feel like if you're going to be that mouthy, especially as a team and not just a player, you better be able to back it up. You better have something that's going to back it up. And if you come out and you say, yeah, LeBron's old, show me he's old. Tell me why you're better than he is. LeBron goes off for like 40 points in the game. I don't take you seriously now. That's not the kind of guy that I want in the team. I need more maturity if you're going to get in their head. Produce something for me. Win something for me. Have some resume that means that you're basically allowed to do that or you are credentialed to be able to say LeBron is old. In the end, Dylan Brooks is a clown. Yeah, you've got to be able to back it up. If you're going to come and say something like that, especially about one of the greatest players to play the game, you better be able to show up and deliver. And the fact that he is completely underqualified, underskilled to do so makes it absurd on many, many levels. I've never quite understood that. I mean, trash talk takes on many forms, but when you get to that point where you're really going at somebody, you got to show up. And if you don't, then you need to give the other guys, you know, give credit where credit's due and walk away at that point. Uh, You don't kick somebody in the nuts and take a cheap shot. I think that's classless. 
if the other guy's better, he's better. You give him props and and here we go. You know, you just on to the next one. As Cleve would say, you give him his flowers. But the other telling part of this is after the game, no sight to be seen for Dylan Brooks at the presser. So they're willing to, of course, take a fine for that. I think that's very telling. I feel like that's not backing it up. And there's been guys in the NBA and all over sports who've been agitators and who have been loose cannons. Dennis Rodman is a great, great example. But you knew what you were getting with Rodman. You're going to get hard play every night. He was going to be a rebounding masterclass every single night. And that's what you got out of him. You may have to let him go on a weekend bender in Vegas and hope that he comes back. But he comes back and, and he's ready to go. And I just feel like nowadays, younger people, I got called a boomer on one of our videos recently because of my (laughs) golf take last week. But this is, I think it's true. I think that having respect for people who have been where you want to be is really, really important. I think it's great to be confident. It's great to have a chip on your shoulder, want to prove yourself, especially if you're an up and comer in whatever it is that you do. It doesn't have to be an MBA or sports. It can be anything. But I think if you come in with an unearned bravado, and then don't back it up. Don't expect people to take you seriously going forward. You need to back that up. And in this particular case, you have LeBron sitting there and being called old, and he's still one of the best players in the league. I just don't understand the the headspace that these players are in where they're coming after these guys that are still performing at a high level. John Starks did it to Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan gave it right back to him. And that's the way Michael Jordan was. If you did that to Michael, he was going to take it personally, as he said in the last dance. So you knew that's what you're going to get. I just don't understand it. Like these younger teams telling the Warriors, well, you're done now. Your time is done. You've won four championships. That's four more than you've won. Yeah. And it's a generational thing, man, because when I worked uh, in a high school, I spent four years working in a high school and I was coaching and stuff. And when it come came to like fights, there's not fights like there used to be fights when like you or I were in school. Like almost every single one was just people running their mouths and then they'd run up behind you, punch you and run away. Like, I mean, that's what you, those were the fights I saw that it's just cowardice. And I think that not, I'm not condoning fighting, but if you have a problem with somebody to the point where you, you're going to say certain things about them or, or make it physical, then it, it needs to be face to face, man to man. And, and you just, Whatever happens, you need to accept and own the consequences and the results. And there's just zero sense of accountability amongst some of the younger generation these days. And I, I sound old as shit saying something like that, but it's it's true though. It just, they have there's a huge lack of ability to handle any sort of adversity at all. And the way it usually is handled is with things like we saw with you know kicking LeBron in the nuts because you can't beat him where it matters. Like I mean and I don't know. It's frustrating. I don't know that it's something that's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, It'll probably get a little bit worse. At the same time, like I've said many times, these guys, and this can even apply back to the sports gambling conversation, these guys are not pillars of character and morality, and we need to stop thinking of them as if they are. They are flawed human beings. At the same time, though, man, they are playing a highly competitive game. Their their job, their well-being depends on the success they have on the field, on the floor, wherever it is. And when you get out there with other people who are fighting for the same thing you're fighting for, emotions are going to run high. Things are probably going to get a little physical once in a while. I mean, very similar to what we talked about last week with Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. I mean, some of it you got, I got, I have tolerance for, for some of it, but like the, the kick in the nuts is kind of, that's kind of low. This is the oldest the show has ever been. So congrats to us for aging precipitously in the last 10 minutes. But the other thing I try to do as I get older, because I recognize this with my parents and you see older people, they have a hard time changing their perspective. These narratives that have existed in their head for however long they've existed, they sort of stick there. And it's hard to get them to pivot a little bit to something more progressive. And I think people hear progressive and they think it's woke or whatever whatever buzzword you want to use for it. But it really is about thinking about the younger generation and trying to be more adaptive to things that are happening. And there are just some parts of it that become very difficult to adapt to. And this lack of accountability, it's not just the younger generation. I think you see it more prevalently there because it is such a stark difference to how we grew up. But you see it everywhere. All you got to do is drive on literally any road in this country and you will see the lack of accountability, the privilege that people walk around with and that unearned bravado. Like I own this road for literally no reason. And I just think it's funny to watch it happen in sports where you have these young guys 
Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese, they backed up their words. One's a champion, the other one could have been a champion, was the best player in college basically all year long. They backed it up. Guys that trash talk a lot, I find that they generally don't back it up. Like not many of the greatest players are the best trash talkers. Larry Bird's probably the only guy that I can think of who is elite in both. And nowadays, I just find that these players, like the Memphis Grizzlies are a great team. They're exciting to watch, but they also have done nothing. You've won nothing. As Cleveland, I always say, do it in the regular season. And once you do it there, do it in the playoffs. Do like earn something, win something. The currency of the championship means something. You can have it. And some of these players just do not have it. Draymond Green, for everything that he is bad for the, the Warriors, he embraces this. He embraces who he is. And guess what? They have four championships out of it. So I am never going to complain about that because that's the goal. No matter how you get there, that's the goal. Yeah, when it comes to trash talking to, I can tell you this this much. Anytime I've ever been in any sort of a game, I've never trash talked in a meaningful game ever because it's so, I don't know what, what the right phrasing would be, but like it could go south for you real fast. And there's just no point in it. There's nothing to gain from it in most cases, unless you are, like you said, you're a world-class elite trash talker and you've got the chops to back it up. You know, I, I had a coach that always used to say, walk silent, but carry a big stick, you know? And I think that I, I kind of would rather just keep my mouth shut and beat you where it counts, right, on the scoreboard and let your let your play and your performance do the talking in most cases. Am I above a little trash talking? No, of course not. Um, I'm petty as fuck, so... I always make time for a little trash talking, but you're right, though. It, you, you better be able to back it up, and a lot of these guys just simply cannot. In the span of two minutes, we got even older because I now just found out that your coach was Teddy Roosevelt, so that's fantastic to know. <laughs> <laughs> so we are, we're dying here. It's By the end of the show, we will have aged out of this. We will be retiring, so don't listen to anything after this moment. Before we get to the last, I would say, prime topic of the week, I do want to talk a little baseball because I know you're a Max Scherzer guy. At least I think you like him because of his gamesmanship. Normally, he's on the positive side of that particular element. Usually, he's trying to game the system, work the pitch clock. I mean, obviously, he has elite stuff. He's a great pitcher. He's a champion as well, so he has a lot of pedigree coming in. But he found himself kicked out of a game this week or last week because of sticky stuff. Now, let's go back to last season. Sticky stuff was a big issue. I don't know if you remember this back in June or July. It was about the time I actually started this show before it was Iceman and Coach, and I talked about it. I talked about how the sticky stuff was going to be a little bit of an adjustment, but then players were going to adjust the way that they always do, but that it had gotten to this ridiculous place that MLB hadn't enforced it. And so now they're enforcing it and players get checked all the time. It's really part of the gamesmanship of each individual game. A lot of times the manager will just do it to mess with the pitcher to get him off his game. Max Scherzer actually got kicked out, and I don't think anybody's really sure that he did anything wrong. He has been very adamant about it. He's not a guy who skirted the rules, broken the rules in any way. And I find this interesting because it feels like they're making an example of him when he didn't do anything wrong. I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, so were his hands sticky? Yes. Yes. But you know why? Because of two legal substances, substances, sweat and rosin, two legal substances, the mixture of them is what made his hand sticky. Like I said, was his hand sticky that allowed him to manipulate the ball more than if he didn't have those hands? Absolutely. But it was not an illegal substance. That's what I don't understand. I think that's what his thing is too. I watched a video. I think it was Trevor Bauer who was like, this is what's happening. And he had sweat on his forehead, rosin, and like the ball's literally like sticking to his hand as he's like, lifting it off the ground, but they are, you know, he got his, his hand, made his hand sticky with legal substances. I don't understand how you, now I don't know how the letter of the law reads. Maybe it says like, if you have any sticky substance on your body, it's, it's a violation of the rules. I don't know, but I'm not sure how you could sit there and get mad at a guy for using things. One of which you are providing on the field and rosin and two is a bodily fluid. I, 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 I'm not sure how you can go at a guy. I haven't read any thorough explanation. I don't know if there's one out there or if there will be one. Probably not. But I, I think that the public's entitled to one. I think that Max Scherzer's entitled to one. I 100% agree. Now, the whole reason they brought this rule change into effect was because players were going out of their way to use external foreign substances. Like they were going out and buying things called spider tack, things like that. These are not naturally provided to you in the game. It's like using Vaseline. That was the old thing from Major League, the old Vaseline ball. You're not allowed to do that. However, to your point, Major League Baseball in every single game provides you with a rosin bag. 
And the whole point of the rosin bag is for you to get better grip. Pitchers started using foreign substances to get better grip so they could get better movement on their pitches because in today's world, hitters are way better than they ever used to be. And both hitters and pitchers are always going to find a way to win in the margins. That's what they're going to do. Competitive advantage within bending the rules of the legal rules that they have. And Max Scherzer is a guy who sweats a lot. I've watched him pitch quite a bit. He's a heavy sweater. And if you're using that rosin bag a lot, David Cohn on the Sunday Night Baseball broadcast the other night showed it. He showed how sticky it is. He was holding his hand like this. The ball was stuck to him. He was not holding it any other way. Just sweat and rosin. He also talked about how when you wash your hands before a game, you usually will wash with alcohol. And when you first pick up that ball, that's what happens. And so these are substances that are legal and provided by the league. It's the lack of explanation that I'm not understanding because 10 days, it's not a big deal for a pitcher. You're missing maybe one start, probably not going to break the bank for the Mets, but that's your star guy. And if he didn't do anything wrong and he has to lose a start because of it, if I'm the Mets, I want an explanation. No, absolutely. And I think I saw something that said in the last two years or something, since they put in these checks, that six pitchers have been ejected for sticky stuff and they've all been ejected by the same umpire. Yes. Which is incredible. Now, I saw someone be like, well, he's because he's the only one enforcing the rules properly or whatever. And it's like, no, obviously that dude's got an axe to grind in some way, shape or form. And I really do. That's something we can talk about one day is just officials and how they interject themselves. And baseball is about the worst at it as far as they want to be the star of the show in some cases. You know, a, a good you should if a, an official's good, you should even know they're there is really the way it should work. But yeah, the same the same umpire has thrown out every pitcher in the last couple of years. It's been ejected for sticky stuff. And it's not Angel Hernandez somehow. I'm not sure how that's that's possible. Hopefully that dude's realized that he just needs to lay low. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But baseball is also <laughs> doing some interesting things, too. They're experimenting with things in the minor leagues. I wanted to read this to you. I'm not sure if you heard it, but they're they're calling it the double hook DH rule. And it's another Otani thing, by the way, because this is all the advent of Otani and how he's changing the game. But this rule would allow teams to use the DH throughout the game as long as the starting pitcher pitches five plus innings, which like never happens anymore. If the starter doesn't pitch five plus innings, the team will lose its DH and the pitcher spot will bat the rest of the game. So I guess they're trying to incentivize pitchers pitching longer, but that means the game has to change. Managerial strategies has to change. And you also have to have a guy that you'd value in the DH spot. And there's so many things that I like about what they're doing. I think that the pitch clock is working. And again, we talked about the fact that the games are shorter, but it's not about that. It's about more entertaining games. You told me over the weekend, when it comes to boxing and any other casual fan, the casual fan wants action. And that's what the casual fan wants in baseball. And I think we're getting that. So it seems as if it's opened up baseball to trying new things to make the game more exciting and make it a little bit more a little bit more gamesmanship and competitive. The managers actually go back to managing and rather than letting the analytics drive the sport. Yeah, I saw something too that mentioned they talked about introducing a designated runner. Yes. That you could place in any time for anyone. I mean, they could literally, someone gets a base hit, you could put them on first base, the next batter hits a ball in the gap, they score, they could go right back out and take the place of the guy that just hit a double or triple. Um, I mean, you could sub them anytime and the person that, they sub in four does not lose their spot in the field, you know, which I think is interesting. That's one thing about baseball, which I, the strategy of it's cool, but like it's like soccer. If you come out, you can't go back in for yeah. the rest of the game. You're done. Uh, but I think that, you know, the, something like the, de the designated runner would make things more interesting, especially from the standpoint of maybe bringing back more of the run game in baseball with stealing bases and some small ball. But yeah, I'm, I think they should be open to experimenting and it sounds like they are. What I heard from hearing that about the designated runner is I've now added from long snapper to designated runner two things that I'm going to train my son to do to make big money and play 20 years in whatever professional league he can get into. Long snapper was the dream. Maybe designated runner is the next one. We're going to train him for it. I think both there of our kids go. need to make the big club. What does your son play? Designated runner. Designated runner. Yeah, I've been Start taking them to like these speed training things. Absolutely. The house of speed and uh, get them going for sure. I'm 100% with you. So the month of April is ending and I think we'll take a little bit of an assessment of the clubs after that because April can be very telling, just like how going 0-2 in the NFL can be telling. But before we get there, there's some time. But we want to talk about Coach Prime. So Coach Prime went to Colorado despite everything that the coach said last season about how he's never going to go to Colorado. Well, guess what? He's there. He's in Colorado now. And things are different. 
And we saw footage from the spring game this weekend. Last year, I think they said they had 1,500 people come to the spring game. They gave 50 press credentials. They were giving away tickets. This year, they sold tickets and sold 45,000 of them to the spring game and gave out, I think, more than 300 press credentials. He has that place buzzing. Colorado had nothing going for it, and now here he is. They talked about how he has sold, like, or they have sold 45,000 season ticket packages. Many, many things have changed, and there's a lot of buzz. But I said to you, I threw a wet blanket on your TikTok that you sent me. He's got to win, and I don't think that changes anything. It's going to take time, but I think that he will eventually win. Now, I'm not saying win national championships, but I think that he is going to make Colorado relevant. Uh, it's going to take a couple of years, like I said, but he's gotten some good recruits. Is he going to be able to hang on to them in the, in the day of the transfer portal? But I think also he's going to be a benefactor, as he has been, of the transfer portal because he is prime time, right? One thing, it's funny, I was talking to my dad about this. Uh, I shared the same TikTok with him. He's like, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know. And I was like, you know what? I don't know how many of his videos you've ever seen, Dad. But if you can put away like your opinion of all his flash and flair for a minute, if you were to listen to things that he says to his team, he has very old school conservative views like towards his team and the, the stuff that he emphasizes. Uh, he's very strict. He has a lot of rules, it sounds like. And just and it's a lot of the rules are things that I would consider to be old school. They're, they're probably things that mo most modern coaches don't fight the battle with, you know, but he's telling them like, you know, he's in there like a guy has white socks on in the weight room and he's like, get out of here. Go change your socks. No white socks allowed. You know, stuff like that. It's, it's very you talk about boomer. I mean, it's very boomer stuff. You know, so it'll be fascinating to see how that translates with especially the big time Division one athletes, uh, you know, they're going to type of athletes you're going to need to compete for national championships if it ever gets to that point. I don't know, man. I'm I'm going to reserve judgment on Coach Prime. We'll see how it goes. You, you talked about it before we came on air about how they've got a tough schedule, especially coming out of the gates. So, I mean, I think it's it, I don't think we can make a judgment off of them, even based off the first half of their season. Now, if they come out and win all those games, then maybe that's a different story. But I don't think any of us expect that to happen. I don't expect it to happen. And again, I, I say this not to throw a wet blanket on everybody's party, but it's different now. Jackson State was one thing. Being in the HBCU is one thing. This is the big time now, and it's not exactly an easy conference. Their schedule is very difficult. The three out of the four games that they play are against pretty high-quality opponents, one of which is their oldest rival in Nebraska, who has Matt Rule as their coach. So they are also going through a program resurgence or trying to go through a program resurgence. And I think the reason that I pointed out and sort of be realistic about it is because this is the time for hope. This is the time when people are excited and go to the spring game because you want to see the players that are out there. You have a brand new coach. This is a program that has been in the graveyard of college football for damn near 20 years. I can tell you that a colleague of mine where I work, he is a Colorado guy and he is depressed. He's hopeful now. Now, will that translate to wins and will coach prime even be there more than three years nobody knows that if he's really successful there and i mean make three bowl games in a row he's gone he's going to take a bigger and better job and why not that means he's talented at what he does and he should get compensated for what he does but it sounds like he has full autonomy of this program and honestly i think that that's what they needed and you're right he is more old school i also understand that he has a lot of control over the nil money that gets doled out that receiver that really dominated the spring game, he's already in the transfer portal. So there's a lot of things I think we're not privy to and we don't know. As you said, guys are going to leave, guys are going to come in. He certainly is going to recruit his ass off and he's going to get players to go there and want to play for him. I just think that eventually you're going to have to win and prove that all of the stuff that you can do in the soft skill department translates to wins on the field. That part is going to be hard. And I think that people are going to have to taper their expectations on it. I, that's all that I'm warning people about. That's fair, I think. And, um, you know, I think that the, you mentioned he has full autonomy. And I imagine that he would not have taken the job otherwise, is my guess. I think he, he probably, and, and this is, you know, this is where maybe we missed it. I missed it, I should say, in thinking that he wouldn't take this job because of how piss poor of a job it, it, it looked like on the surface. And probably in real, reality is right now, today. But he looked at it as, 
I want to go in there. I want to go somewhere where I have, I, I make, I call all the shots, control over the NIL money. And the only place that's even going to give you a shot at something like that is somewhere that can't go any lower than where they already are. Yeah. That has nothing to lose, basically. So, uh, you know, looking back, hindsight's always twenty twenty. This may have been a match made in football heaven. I think that it will be. I'm intrigued by it. It certainly makes me excited. I'm going to actually tune into Colorado football. Who knows? Maybe we should travel out to Boulder, Colorado and do a live broadcast from the very first game when they get trounced by whoever it is, TCU, I think, who just went to the national title game. So you never know. And I will be excited. It's got me hopeful as a casual fan of college football, as everybody knows. I'm definitely rooting for the guy because I think that it's good for college football to have personalities in the sport. He is a lot of what Nick Saban is not. He probably embodies a lot of the traits, and I'm talking about the old school mentality of making, of, of working hard and a certain look to your to your program and all that kind of stuff, how you carry yourself. But he is not Nick Saban in his business approach. He is prime. That's who he is. And I think that's what you're bringing in. And that's what kind of a splash that you want to make. And I think you're 100% correct. He's not going to go to school that's going to try to tame that. He's going because you're getting the full package. You're getting Coach Prime. And Colorado was like, you know what? We can't afford to pay you, but we we need you here. Yes. No. And it'll be curious to see what happens if he does have success there and some of these more prominent programs do come calling. Is he going to be able to have the same autonomy at those places if that time comes? You know, but it, to his credit at that point in time, he would be able to say, hey, it worked here. Look what I did here. They gave they let me do this, 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 this and this. Look at the results. Um, you either want it or you don't. And, and I think that um, he's the type of guy that would lay it out just like that, I imagine. Oh, yeah. There's no way. And honestly, if he comes into a school like, let's say, Auburn or wherever, I assume the SEC would be a natural landing spot at some point. He's going to come in with a lot of credentials and say, this is what I'm bringing to the table. You cannot stifle that. And there's no way that they would stifle it because they need him. If you're bringing him in, you need him. And I think that there are going to be schools that are going to seriously evaluate where they are. And they're just going to say, okay, we need to bring in this guy, especially if he's successful. Time will tell on that. But you know what? Before we get to the end of the show, we have some business to conduct. OTW of the week, as always, starts off with Iceman stat of the week. So, Coach, we talked about the NBA a little bit earlier. So my stat of the week is NBA related. Are you ready? Is it Draymond Green related? How many rounds he could go in the ring with a real boxer? It is not Draymond Green related. However, it is Toronto Raptors related. I assume you have heard of the Toronto Raptors franchise. I certainly have. Yes, they were an expansion team not that long ago. Actually, I guess it was 30 years ago, but they won an NBA title not that long ago, knocking off the Golden State Warriors and what everybody thought was Kawhi Leonard's assassination of the Warriors dynasty, only for them to come back and win a title next year. Well, they are the only team in the NBA to have had two coaches of the year over the last six years, and both of those coaches were fired. (laughs) <laughs> of course, of course, like they could only do in Canada, right? Uh, screw up a good thing. They fired a guy after he won coach of the year. He was announced he won coach of the year, fired him. Nick Nurse came in, won a title with Kawhi Leonard, and then recently just got fired after winning coach of the year that year. So it's amazing. It's always amazing to me how that works out. And you kind of wonder to yourself, like, what are what else are they looking for? There had to have been something else that happened. The Marlins, your guy, Joe Girardi, famously fired him. He won coach of the year, manager of the year. And you know why they fired him? Because he told the owner of the team to shut the hell up during a game. (laughs) I mean, that's probably a fireable offense, I guess. But uh, he probably could think then they probably did him a favor uh, by firing him from that putrid franchise. But I think that, uh, you know, you're talking about head coaches in the NBA, in my opinion, I feel like it's the most overrated head coach in all of sports. Not not overrated. What am I saying? Meaningless, basically. I, I'm not saying that there aren't great ones. Phil Jackson, Greg Popovich, some of those guys, even Steve Kerr, you could throw in that category, Pat Riley. But I, I don't think, I mean, look at Eric Spolstra, what he did with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and those guys. I mean, I don't think Eric Spolstra is on anyone's list of great NBA coaches, probably, maybe. I'm not sure, but... 
I feel like the the star power is more relevant than the coach. The players are more important to the success than whoever the coach is. I think you can overcome a mediocre coach, but you can't overcome lesser talent uh, in most cases in the NBA where I think other I think coaches are more impactful in some of the other sports. I think NBA coaches today are less meaningful because the players want a guy that's going to sort of placate to their strategies, depending on the team, of course. There are teams that need a certain kind of coach to work, and I think that that will always be the case. But all the guys that you named, I mean, they had the luxury of playing with some of the all-time greats. And you have to ask yourself, sometimes a good coach is the guy that you talked about is seen but not heard especially when you have a lot of talent and superstar talent. Phil Jackson was able to manage all those personalities. Then he went to Kobe and Shaq, was able to manage those guys as well. And some of the best have to deal with that. And so I think that I I understand where you're coming from, but I also think that it is a little bit more skillful to be able to manage big-time personalities in today's game. And back in the day, maybe it wasn't as much so. But I think today where players are constantly looking for greener pastures all the time, it's hard sometimes to to coach superstars. And I think that coaches probably earn a little bit more money today in terms of what they have to do than they did before. But I can't lie to you. I couldn't name more than half the coaches in the league. No, not, not a chance. Me neither. Um, I'm I'm shocked I rattled off like four, the four or five I did. We'll have to do that maybe next week or the week after. See how, how which of us can get to 10 current NBA coaches in, in, in an episode. I don't think that we could do it, right? No way. As always, that sound means it is time for Coach's Pick of the Week. Last week, Coach did something unprecedented. He picked an entire series winner. And that means in the span of a week, they have only played three games. So for the first time in Iceman and Coach history, we have a wait to see on that. And that is why if you're watching on YouTube, there are asterisks on there. And we will wait to see and give you those results whenever they come in. So, Coach, that leaves you currently still at 2-2-0. That means that you have the ability to be over 500, depending on what your pick is. So please bless us with your picketh of the week. <clears throat> hear ye, hear ye, wonderful, loyal listeners of Iceman and Coach and mediocre, degenerate gamblers alike. I welcome you to the pick of the week. And this week, we go to Toronto, Canada once again. And not the Raptors this time. But we're going again to the ice, and we have a series that's going to be wrapped up about the same time as the series we picked last week. And again, I think you're going to see disappointment in Toronto. Oh, no. I feel like the Toronto Maple Leafs appear to be a cursed franchise when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs. They come in with high hopes every year, get knocked off prematurely, uh, consistently. And it's really sad to see this out of a proud original six franchise in the NHL. And they're currently playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they are up 2-1 to one in that series. And I'll be honest, right now, there's a game happening as we speak, and the Lightning are up 4-1. to one. Right now, the Lightning are up 4-1, to one, and I'm picking it right now. The Tampa Bay Lightning are going to seal the deal and win this series and send some of hockey's most loyal and passionate fans home for the summer with more disappointment. So give me the Lightning over the Leafs. The Tampa Bay Lightning over the poor, hapless Toronto Maple Leafs, whose fans have been waiting a very long time. I think it's the longest drought in NHL, current NHL history. And you're right, they are an original six team. A lot of people who follow hockey would tell you that they're the most delusional fan base in the NHL. However, Lightning over the Maple Leafs, coach, so let it be written, so let it be done. And that means we have reached the end of the episode before we close things out. Last week, we talked about and announced the new INC Sports Paradigm, and we are firmly in that right now. We have decided to add two new shows to the docket, Reading the Defense, which is a show that I do with my brother-in-law occasionally. We haven't really done it a whole lot, but we're going to add that to the paradigm, try to pick that up once a month or so. And an interview series that I started with a guy named Myron Flowers, who trains NFL players and is a really inspirational personality that is called Interviews on Ice. We're hopeful that we can get some people to interview, not just in sports, but maybe that straddle the sports line. So we're going to be adding content to that as I talk about or I talked about last week. So keep your eyes peeled for that for the new shows coming up. We're really excited about it for sure. 
And another thing is on Thursday, the first round of the NFL draft, I will be on Political Football's live stream starting at 7.45. You'll probably see me for a couple of hours. Those of you who listened to me in the past, they used to be on that show. I'm really good friends with those guys. So they needed somebody to come in, do some draft analysis and have some fun. So I'm their guy and we are bringing the band back together one night only for our first of what is probably going to be 75 farewell tours. And that is the administrative stuff for the week. Coach, we're at the end, man. You got any parting words for the loyal Ice Time Nation listeners? Just excited about all the new things we have coming down the pipe with Iceman and Coach Sports. And uh, I've said it before, but the way I see it is like, this is your sports page right here, right? I mean, we're the front page right here on this Iceman and Coach platform. And you turn the page and get into uh, some of these other specialized shows and get really into the nuts and bolts of some of these niche sports and and hear from people that are truly knowledgeable and passionate about different things. And I think it's going to be a great thing. I'm looking forward to it. Other than that, looking for uh, looking forward to a nice, enjoyable week. Hopefully the weather turns around. It's been a little chilly here, as I said at the beginning. Hopefully the weather turns around a little bit so I can complain about how it's too hot. But nope. other than that, everything's great. Another great episode in the books. As always, it's been a pleasure. And as if the show couldn't get any older, you now likened us to a front page of a newspaper, a dying medium. So this show is dying on the vine every single second that goes by. That's just how we roll here on the front page of decrepit newspaper Iceman and Coach. Yes. Yes. Some of the administrative stuff before we get you out of here, please support the Pub Time Podcast. As always, Brad and Ryan have some really exciting things going on, what you were telling me offline. So definitely tune in wherever you find your podcast there. If you are listening on Apple and Spotify, hit follow, give us some ratings. I don't care if it's one star, just hit the damn stars. It's all I ask. If you are watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit like and subscribe, all that good stuff. If you are watching on YouTube or you are listening in the podcasting space, do not forget to call the show. Give us your takes. Let us know how you feel about the show. 703-718-6314. Twitter and Instagram at Iceman and Coach if you want to find us there. And as always, support the Matty Ice Media Network by hitting up MattyIceMedia.com. We're working on a little bit of a refresh for the page with all the INC sports and other ventures that we have going on. We're working on quite a bit in the background and Coach is part of some of those endeavors. And hopefully in the next month or two, we will have some very exciting things to announce for you. I appreciate everybody listening. I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. And as always, everybody, this is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.